How would you like to improve your relationship? How would you like to respond differently in a way that facilitates mutuality and encourages connection? We look forward to addressing these issues together and welcome you to Ask Arlo, a program that seeks to help you identify negative patterns and respond in new ways that can promote a more positive relationship. Now, here is the host of Ask Arlo, Arlene Majorano. Hi, I'd like to introduce myself. My name is Arlene Majorano, and I'm here with my guest, David Alexander. And today we're going to be talking about the interface between Amago relationship therapy and nonviolent communication. And um, just it's the, the implications of both approaches to healthy, respectful communication between people and um, and also how easy it is to, to talk about how to do it and sometimes how difficult it is to actually do it. David, do you have anything you want to add to that? Uh, no, that's fine. Um, again, as Arlene was saying, I think we're both interested in how we can make relationships better for people. That's really what we're talking about here. So uh, one thing I always like to say, and I'm going to say it briefly because it's redundant, is that this all goes back to the beginning of time. Uh, Hillel in 100 BC said, if I'm not for myself, who will be? If I'm not for others, what am I? If not now, when? So from the beginning of time, mankind has faced the dilemma <laughs> of having to uh, hear the other, to be in relationship, to hear the other with generosity, and also to speak from their own need and and invite the other to hear themselves. So it's been um, it's been the task of mankind from the beginning of the time. From a time Martin Buber uh, wrote the I Thou in um, in response or influenced by Hillel. We I think anyway, and then both. Um, I, is it um, Rosenberg? Is what's his first name? Uh, Marshall Rosenberg. Mar- Marshall Rosenberg and Harville Hendricks and uh, Helen uh, Hendricks uh, wrote um, using the philosophy of the I Thou of Martin Buber. They both developed um, communication schemas that would help people to implement um, effective communication and. Um, one of the things I always remember somebody telling me uh, at a workshop was how hard it is to do this. It's, it's hard because our, our caveman brain is triggered to defend ourselves, and, and that may be also reinforced by childhood experiences in which we weren't met, seen, affirmed, and um, so we also have the need to defend ourselves and what this person said um, is that we have two chances, pretty much, that we, one person says something, the other person meets that with defensiveness or criticism, then the other person criticizes back, then the other person attacks back, and then the, the uh, caveman brain takes over, and we almost, we're lost, and we have to defend ourselves. And her advice at that was to say, Let's not start. Let's not go there. Let's not ruin the day. Let's not ruin the, the our time together. And um, her her advice was: you have to bring it down. And if we if we look at what um, both Amago and NVC say and and teach us, it's it, they are teaching us a way to bring it down to to hear the other instead of defend. To, to, hear the, um, to hear the other and also to hear oneself. Uh, we, right, right. You know, sometimes we think we're expressing something uh, very important, but it's coming out with this um, kind of non-vulnerable or angry approach rather than sharing what's really going on inside and trusting that you can work on that together with the other person. Right. So to hear the other, to hear ourselves, to invite the other to hear ourselves. And what you just said was so important. It's coming out. Uh, it often comes out defensively or um, attackingly because it's so hard to be vulnerable. It's so hard to say, I need you. I love you. I want you to do this for me. 
um, disappointed. Can we work on something together? Um, it's so hard to do that because we're so vulnerable, which is where we need to go. And instead, it's so easy to say, you never listened to me. You forgot to clean the dishes, even though you promised me. So, so it's very easy to go to the defensive posture and um, the attacking posture because then we're st- we feel strong uh, instead of the vulnerable posture. But the only way we really get what we need ultimately is by being in that vulnerable posture, right? I'm sure you agree with that, Dave. Yes. Um, um, that's uh, kind of a foundational principle. Yep. I think uh, if I can add to that, uh, I, I think what um, we can trace it back to is the difference between believing that you're separated and isolated uh, and the other person is far away and you're fighting for your survival, whether emotionally or physically. And the other view with empathy is that we really are connected. Everyone, we're all connected together. And the meaning we get in our lives is from this connection. And when we feel that, we can be vulnerable because we're not protecting anything. We want that connection. And that helps the communication. Right. If we can stay in awareness of that, that what we want is connection and, yeah. and allow the person who we imagine might disappoint us <laughs> to hear that. Absolutely. Yeah. So yeah. sometimes people forget the other person really also wants the connection. Right. You're picturing them as being right. the enemy and that makes it harder to be vulnerable. Right. And it's so, it's so easy to project the, the like I sometimes tell this funny story, which is a true story that, um, my, I, I was working with somebody and um, their partner didn't call them up. They didn't. So, and they, were, they went off on a whole defensive, I'm never going to talk to him again. He always does this. I can't trust him. And um, I'm like, all right, let's just acknowledge or allow for all the possibilities. And I made up a funny one. I just out of randomly, like maybe he was in a car accident. And it turned out that the person actually was in a car accident and called from the emergency room. <laughs> so that's why I always say allow for all the possibilities. Um, it, and it's easy to allow for the possibility that we're going to be disappointed or the person doesn't care about us and defend ourselves. But we also have to allow for the possibility that they may want to meet us. They may be open. They may need what uh, need to be connected as well. They may be having a some difficulty doing it, but that's their underlying need. So you always want to allow for the positive projection, the positive possibility. It may not be true, but um, it, the only way you get there is to allow for that possibility. So um, maybe I can give a quick introduction about what this means, nonviolent communication. Okay. And then I'll do Imago. We'll, we'll kind of, and then we'll look at sure. the similarities. Go for it. Yeah. Um, so uh, as, as Arlene mentioned, Marshall Rosenberg was the person who wrote all this down, and he was a psychologist. He died about 10 years ago. Uh, he actually negotiated with international issues uh, between nations that were destroying each other, you know, Yugoslavia, the Middle East, and as well with couples So and everything in between. Uh, and the method is very... Um, detailed, um, but it's very heart-centered at the same time. Um, and what he calls it is, uh, you, he calls it a language of life. When we use nonviolent communication, we're affirming life in the other person and in ourselves, as opposed to being authoritative or hostile, or whatever creates distance from ourselves and from other people. We want to learn how to communicate so that we improve relationships and find the connection that we all need to be happy. So that's the fundamental principle behind nonviolent communication. But there, it's not just a, kind of a feel-good concept. There's a lot of specific methods to reach that goal. Yeah, so that's my part of it. And Arlene, do you want to talk about Imago? Sure. And, you know, um, well, the, the, Imago has a very similar uh, foundational belief, 
which is that, um, well, first of all, that we're always communicating. We're always in relationship. So we cannot not communicate. Even when we're passive, like when we decide, okay, I'm not going to respond to a phone call and I'm not going to uh, respond to an email, we're communicating. We're saying, I am not going to respond to you. So um, the, whether it's an active communication or a passive communication, we're always in communication. We're always in relationship. And um, what what her, the Hendricks is say is that when you respond um, with uh, negatively, you, you set the negative cycle in into uh, into gear. And when you when when you respond po- with positive intention, you you can create a positive cycle. And I'm, I, I often remember and quote this rabbi who took a full page ad in the New York Times out after September 11th. And he said, when we put good into the universe, good expands um, and we create more good. When we put negative energy into the universe, hate or negative energy, hate expands and, and we create negative energy and hatred. So his advice after September 11th, because we have to put good into the universe. And I think that's the Rosenberg Hendricks uh, philosophy as well. If we put positive intention in, then we have a better chance of creating a positive cycle. And um, so what, um, what, and we can kind of talk about the the details of it, but they're very, very similar. Um, What, um, what, the Hendrixes talk about is there are four parts to a healthy communication cycle. And I think Rosenberg does this, says the same thing. They call them slightly different by slightly different words, but in, in, or terms, but in the end, they're very similar. So, um, you can talk about, uh, NVC, but what, um, what, the Hendricks used to do is they talk about mirroring. So if there's a, a communication, it can, it can be, and it, it can be a negative communication. Um, well, and, and also they talk about, you have to make a, you have to make a commitment to do it. Uh, and, and once you make the commitment, you, you sort of know what the rules are that you're going to follow. So you make a commitment to have a dialogue and, Part of the commitment is I'm going to mirror what you are saying. I'm going to mirror what I understand is important to you, even if you start out in a negative way. So another quote I love is there's always a good reason that a good person does a bad thing. So if I'm hurt, I may say I'm really hurt. I want us to work on this together so it doesn't happen again. Or I may say, you know, you're a moron. You never do anything right. <laughs> you're always disappointing me. So let's just say I start. Oh, that's called violent communication. It's <laughs> called violent. But let's just say I start with that. Um, then my partner's uh, option <laughs> is to say, no, you're the asshole. Uh, you're always too sensitive. You always overreact to things. And then we could go off on. On what um, the the, the uh, I think it was um, I'm forgetting who it was that said you know don't start you have to not start um, you can catch yourself and what we mir- when we mirror if I say you know you 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 never remember me you're you're all, you oh you all you do is think about yourself I can begin to say okay what I hear you saying is that you feel like I didn't hear what you needed and you feel that I was ignoring you. Is that, is that what you're feeling? Is that correct? And the person could say yes. And you could say, well, is there more that you want me to know about that? And um, you try to transcend your own defensiveness and see the situation from your partner's point of view. You want to know, you want to be curious, you want to ask why would that person who I love <laughs> uh, be, be, be acting so defensively right now, so critically right now? What, what, 
what happened to make them feel that way. And um, it, it, it might not, it might be a tone, it might be an absence of something, but you want to be curious. You want them and you want to mirror what they say back to you so that they feel and understand that, um, that you care about what they're saying. Uh, then the, the next step that uh, they, they talk about is validation. Um, so in, in, in once I hear, okay, I hear that you felt uh, disappointed, for instance, that I didn't uh, call you when I said I would call you, um, I then have to kind of hear the point of view of, of the person. So it, it, again, if your point of view is, well, you misunderstood because I didn't say I would call at nine o'clock. I said I would call sometime during the evening. And then you, you want to hear, okay, I understand that for you, what you thought is that I was going to call at nine o'clock. So from your point of view, I, um, I understand that you felt very disappointed. Let, let me just kind of finish. So that, and, and the next step would be empathy, um, recognizing the feeling under that. Um, and, and again, those steps can, they don't necessarily have to follow in that order, but sometimes feeling can precede validation um, or em- and empathy, but sometimes the validation creates the empathy. But the empathy is the feeling. I understand how disappointed you felt. I, um, I understand how sad that made you feel. And again, you want to get confirmation from the person. Is that, am I getting that? Do, am I understanding that correctly? And then the, the next step that you want to do and you want to build, you want to make, the, you want to make the, set the groundwork for something positive to happen. So you would, uh, what they call a gift or a behavior change request is something that you would, you would agree upon. So the next time this happens, what would you like me to do? How can we handle this differently the next time? What is the small gift I can give you that would prevent this from happening again and that would meet your need? So it might be we agree that if we're going to call at 9 o'clock, uh, we confirm with each other, and then I call when you need me to, or when I've said that I would. Um, and then that's the the cycle of hearing each other and um, and and completing the the dialogue, so that instead of being defensive, we are vulnerable. We care about the other, and we try to create the ground for something different to happen in the future and also for the ground for caring about our impact upon each other in the, in the present moment. And it can go both ways. And, you know, then the other person can talk about what they're feeling, what they're needing um, in response to the same situation. And then the hurt person can hear the other person. So it, it's um, it, and it's a ground where there's mutual uh, caring, consideration, um, uh, and responsibility for our impact on the other person, and it goes both ways. So, um, so David, maybe you can then respond and maybe talk a little bit about NDC and how it's similar or different. Okay, sure. So um, there is some similar, the concepts are similar, but kind of the structure is different in in some ways. Um, I guess um, what you would call an imago, the first step is the uh, mirroring. Uh, The observation is the first step. Um, Basically, you have to separate observations and evaluations. Because what happens is people get in trouble when they say to another person, um, "You're careless. You don't. You you don't care." So now the other the the partner says, "Yes, I do care. No, you don't. Yes, I do. No, you don't." That's the problem. There is, it's not really communicating what the first person is feeling there, which is 
you came late the last three times you were supposed to meet. You were late and I was feeling really like I don't matter. I, I felt hurt because I want to see you and I want us to have this time together. Um, now it's creating more of a feeling of connection. And there's nothing to argue about because you're just, the person says, what, here's what happened and then here's what I felt. Right. There's nothing to really debate or argue and has and the opposite effect, which is I wanted to see you. I, I want to have that time with you because you're important to me. So you're creating that positive feeling that Arlene's also referring to, as opposed to you're always late, you don't care. So, um, you know, all these things, uh, one of the things I have come up to explain, how do we get into these communications um, problems? We all had intense training in communication. Yeah. <laughs> Every one of us has had it. We didn't know that, right? It was called childhood. It wasn't called training in communication. We had 20 years or so, give or take a few years, in training and communication. And what we learned was not always perfect, to put it in a mild way. Some of us had better experiences than others. But in general, um, most of us have learned some degree of defending what's, what you are defending about yourself and attacking if you feel attacked. And it doesn't really work when you really want to get your needs met. A different kind of communication is important. And so um, uh, uh, sharing observations and then sharing the feelings that the observation, you're late and I feel hurt because I want to spend the time with you. Can we make an agreement that you'll try to be on time because I would feel much better? And that's the request or gift. And there's a similarity there because you do want actions to come out once once that connection is made, the first step is to feel connected to the other person both ways. When that's there, then you can discuss a strategy. When there's hostility going on and you say, okay, next time you got to be on time, um, the chance of getting what you need is much lower. So you have to make sure the connection is established first. And finally, at the end, you can do requests and strategies. And this even works in international negotiation you want to make sure that people see each other's human needs, even if there's a history of warfare or other problems. Once they see each other as human beings, you can start to have real communication about how can we solve this problem so we're all happier and we don't have to shoot at each other. Right. So um, that's, that's a, those are the main principles um, for the sequence. It's called the process for nonviolent communication. Yeah. So let me just, like, just to do a little takeoff from what you said about the childhood uh, training in, in communication, um, there's a couple of things I think that happen with couples. And I, one of the things it, it always, that we finally get to say to our partner, well, first of all, we pick a partner that's, that's sometimes um, very similar, either similar to our parent or they're similar to the parent that we wish we could have had. Um, and either way, when they disappoint us because they're not perfect, we can get very angry um, and, 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 and defensive. And um, one of the things that sort of I, I don't really know what to make of this because we're talking about how do you communicate in a healthy way. Mm -hmm. But one of the things that we only probably only do with one of our partners uh, that we would never do, say, with a boss or a colleague or usually not with a friend is we finally get to like haul it out and, and let it loose and say what we couldn't say as children to the person. Mm -hmm. um, and we, we yeah. get to say, I can't stand you. You disappoint me all the time. I hate you. I, you, you get to say what you were never allowed to say to your mother or father because you wouldn't dare. And um, there's something about being able to do that, that, you only do with your, your partner. I'd like to say creates... something about it. Yeah, go yeah, ahead. Let me say something about it. It's a, a good point. Um, I, I think our, our end goal is not that we want to be able to say to each other, I hate you. No, I hate you more. Obviously, that's not healthy communication. Right, right. It's not but, the end goal. <laughs> right. So the anger is a gateway towards looking at what's going on. Right. And... and um, like you said, if you have a, 
history with parents or maybe a sibling, uh, some long-term painful experience, the first thing that may come out of your mouth is, you know, you're unreliable. And this is triggered by a history with your childhood. But when, when you look closer, it's like, I really feel hurt so badly. I don't know if I can rely on you. And I really want to rely on you. You're so important. You're my the most important person in my life. And when I feel that you're not showing up, I feel scared that, right. you know, that the same thing that happened to me in the past is going to happen. So when you can get to that level, you really have a deep communication that can right. be healing. If it stays at the level of you're unreliable and the name calling, that is not going to help solve the problem. Right. No, of course. And I didn't mean to imply that it would, but I'm just saying that that no, I agree with you, level it's- of anger that can come out all uniquely comes out with the person that you're in the transferential relationship with. Yeah. And, and right. And you, when, what you just said about anger, I want to reinforce that is that anger always covers up a need that's on. Like you don't get angry for no reason. You don't get angry in a vacuum. You're not responding to imaginary stimuli. Um, you get angry because you're hurt, you're frustrated, you're disappointed. So, yes. yeah, so we have to get to that layer under the anger, but the anger is the signal that that layer is there. Yeah, and I, I but I agree. Um, there is something interesting about the fact that when people are very close and they can trust that they have a strong relationship, even if they're not fully aware of it, once they have that comfort level, they can start to attack each other and start to let out those hidden feelings. Mm-hmm. But hopefully they can go further than that and start right. to go to the vulnerable part. Um, yeah. It, it's like a double-edged sword. It's there. I'm comfortable that I can attack you, but also I have to attack you because you have uniquely disappointed me because I expected you to give me what I never had. Yeah. So like the, 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 um, the expectation is enormous the there's a, there's, a, there's a, an example that um, sometimes comes up when I'm talking to parents who are having problems with their children, uh, even adult children who are seeming to favor the other parent, let's say they're divorced. And what often happens with children is they'll attack and give all their bad behavior to the parent who's been the most loving and reliable because they know that relationship is strong mm-hmm. and they can let out their anger and try to find answers. And the parent who's been unreliable and been a real jerk, if you come on to call mm-hmm. them that, they don't want to threaten that parent. They'll be very nice and generous. And it drives that right, right. reliable parent crazy sometimes. Why, why is he or she, my child, so nice to this other person who's never given time of day? But um, when we have that relationship of strong trust, a lot of feelings start to be expressed. And that's the opportunity to really deepen the relationship right. by doing it the right way, you know. And Imago would say that's why uh, an, an adult partnership, whether, you know, it's a marriage or any other relationship, it, it creates the ground to heal the childhood wound because we might respond the way we wished we could have responded as a child and we might attack, <laughs> But what it gives us, if, if, we, if, we, if we're able to enter into dialogue and really hear each other with empathy, with curiosity, with care, it gives us the chance to become aware of how, what the hurt is and then to both to heal ourselves, to, to like parent ourselves, to be the person who says, oh, I understand how sad I am, but also to take in the care potentially of our partner who, say, who can say, I understand how how sad you are underneath. Uh, I understand why you just got so upset. I care about you. So, so we get to heal that um, part of ourselves uh, by the grace of the other, and also by the, by the grace of you know our own awareness. Absolutely, it's a very important um, process and reality. Yeah, I like what Viktor Frankl said, which I think we've all talked about in, in various times uh, in psychotherapy training. Uh, between the stimulus and the response, there's a moment of decision. Mm. And in that moment, we determine our destiny. Oh, well. <laughs> you know, of okay. course, it's multiple small decisions. It's not one moment normally, but 
we, when we have that choice of whether to become aggressive or to listen in to ourselves and to the other person and to see what will improve the situation, at that moment, we can make a decision to right. make a better future. Although sometimes we're so, it's so instinctive to defend ourselves that that moment passes without our awareness. Yes. And one, one of the things I think happens in a, because I've been married now for like, whatever, 40 years or something like that. And it takes, I always say it, it takes my husband and I longer <laughs> to get to the place where we're going to have a fight. It takes more to trigger us. Um, it, it, the trigger lasts for a shorter amount of time because we've learned to trust each other. So we, we, we can, um, over, over do, after doing this for many, many, many years, we can, we can truly say, let's not, let's not ruin the day. Let's not fight. We, we can do what Victor Frankl says, but I think it's a pathway to get there. Um, and a pathway to, of learning a different, um, to respond to ourselves differently, but also to feel that we've been responded to differently so we can begin to trust ourselves and the other person. Um, but it's a, it's a real, it's a journey, the journey of, of life. Sometimes it requires um, intervention, like by a psychotherapist doing couples therapy, because mm-hmm. the intensity of the feelings can be so strong that it's right. very difficult for the people to sort out when to you know, let go of the anger and try to communicate. So sometimes it takes some retraining those habits, yeah. some help for that. Or it could you know, be a minister you, or somebody, somebody with a, a mature, caring viewpoint can help. Right. It's funny because I compare, you know, being a couple therapist sometimes with an individual therapy. So as an individual therapist, I'm with the person, I'm doing what each person in, in the couple has to do. I'm listening, I'm caring, I'm validating, I'm curious, I'm interested. My stance with my individual client is to kind of cre- co-create or recreate um, a a relationship where they're finally being seen and being cared for. Uh, it's funny because my little grandson, he said to me, why do people pay money to talk to you? <laughs> could you, could you tell me why? And, uh, but that's why, because we're really creating this ground for healing. And, um, but with a couple, I sometimes feel like I'm more like my job is to get them to do that. Right. To hear each other, to validate, to see each other. So I'm feeling like I'm more like the police officer. I'm more like, um, okay, say it this way, or you have to hear, can you please try to hear what the other person is saying? I'm, I'm, I'm much more, um, uh, I'm, I'm empathic with the process, but I'm, my, I'm, my job is to get them to be uh, empathic. So I think I'm... Um, Let's get the it's audience. A slight, it's a slightly different uh, position. Let's get the audience going. We can give some examples <laughs> and give them a little time to process. Um, okay, um, let's uh, go. Why, why don't we do, we both agreed that the one with the, um, it's a short one with the husband and wife and the wife says to the husband, oh, oh, this, this could is- be any couple. Yeah. <laughs> uh, this could be any relationship. Um, uh, you're always out late working. Uh, why do you have to work so late? So um, the husband said, okay, yeah, he takes that seriously and <laughs> comes, comes home a couple of days later and he says, dear, you'll be very happy. I signed up for a bowling league four <laughs> nights a week, uh, so I won't be working late. Now, okay, so here's the question for the audience. What did she, where did she miss her opportunity? What, what went wrong in that communication? Right. Give it a funny. few seconds, right? It's funny, and yet it's sort of, it's funny maybe because it kind of echoes some things that happen in, in a less obvious way. Um, I think the key there is the vulnerability where she didn't express what she really wanted, which was to see more. I'd like to see more of you. But mm-hmm. that might be a little bit too vulnerable. Like, what if he says, no, I don't want to see more of you? Uh, again, this is like going back to maybe some childhood traumatic experiences of not being safe to express a deeper feeling. I want to see more of you. So instead she said, you were working too late. And that left uh, ambiguity. She wasn't very, it 
didn't come out clearly because of this uh, lack of openness, unfortunately. Right. Um, so anyway, yes, Arlene, you want to? Well, the bowling league was fun for the, <laughs> for the other. <laughs> At least he didn't have to work that late. <laughs> yes, it was um, a step in a, in a, maybe in a, maybe in a good direction, maybe. I mean, I think, uh, you know, that happens so much rather than say I need or I, I, um, it's easy to either be indirect, like when you, you just that example, or even to be punitive. So if I'm hurt because you didn't call me or you didn't follow through on, you promised to have call me and say we would have dinner, um, I can, I can now not answer any texts, phone calls, <laughs> or messages from you for the entire week, even if you're trying to call me and say, let's get together for dinner. So by protecting myself from being vulnerable, by being punitive, by being passively aggressive, um, instead of saying what I need, I double up on, on not getting what I want. Um, which I think happens a lot. We have, you know, the, the, again, the instinct is to protect ourselves. Yeah, absolutely. Um, it's sort of an unwinding process. You know, um, even um, even as, in therapy, you can't expect anyone to be totally vulnerable immediately. It's a process of growing trust, whether it's in a couple or even sometimes parent-child, uh, other relationships, as you work on being more open and honest and vulnerable, the relationship goes deeper and then you can start to really, you know, share things that you would not previously have been able to talk about. So that can take some time and it, it's perfectly fine to, to wait until you feel safe enough to share something that's very sensitive. You know, meanwhile, don't do any harm. Don't make it into an attack. But, but we want to be able to feel the other person and feel safe and not regret being open. Um, yeah. And also, yeah. we'll yeah. just also know what our triggers are, you know. And one of the things that I think is also kind of, it's just funny that this happens to all couples and, of course, including mine, is that you can have the same exact fight over and over again. And I sometimes say it's like a Shakespearean play. He has 36 plays, but in the end, you always kill the king. Um, we can have the same fight, but it's about different things. It could be about the dishes. It could be about the laundry. It could be about, um, you know, not having a phone call that you were supposed to get. But it's always about usually an existential need. With, you know, there's just a couple of existential needs, and one of them is to be safe. One of them is to be uh, seen and heard and understood. Um, to be cared about. To be cared about, to be in connection. So those are the, the needs that get triggered. They're very deep and important needs, but they get um, sometimes talked about using the most insignificant details imaginable, like you didn't take out the garbage. Um, when we're really talking about, you know, it's important to me that you take out the garbage because that's what you promised me you would do. And um, can we, can we agree that you're going to do that? Um, and, and, you know, let's talk about that. So, but the, the need underneath is I, you made a promise. I want to be important. Mm -hmm. I want you to. In, in, in nonviolent communication, um, we talk about um, separating triggers and causes. If somebody else does something, that can be a trigger for our reaction or feeling. But we really need to not blame them, but realize whatever they did set off something in you that is already mm -hmm. sensitized. Mm -hmm. So instead of saying, you didn't take out the garbage, you're driving me crazy. That's blaming the other person. And um, that's considered kind of violent communication. Mm -hmm. Instead of that, when you don't take out the garbage, it makes me, it, it triggers this feeling like I don't matter, which, um, you know, I really want to be important. And when I, then it sets off that feeling. So now you're not blaming the other person. You're describing your inner process and experience. You're sharing something 
that is meaningful. And then the two of you can talk about it. There's a big difference, even though it's not obvious, between when you don't take out the garbage, you drive me crazy, versus when you don't take out the garbage, I feel disappointed because I'm counting on you and I want to be able to mm-hmm. rely on you to be my partner. Uh, so, yeah. That's yeah, it, but it is interesting, fine. right, how we can have these fights about. You know, there's another example that I, I came across, to, uh, which my husband and I used to always have. It was funny, but it was an example in one of the books I was reading. Uh, like if you, because I, I hate air conditioning. <laughs> I'm like Italian from the South. And my husband loves air conditioning. So he would come home from work and say, and this was the example, it's so cold in here. So he would like categorically mm-hmm. state that it was cold. And mm-hmm. I would say, no, it's not. I'm not cold. What, you know, you're the one who thinks it's cold. And then we could, we could have like a fight about that. Um, but now, of course, after all these years, we don't do that anymore. But the... Um, but so how did you solve it, Arlene? I think many people are wondering, many couples are wondering. <laughs> we, we have like a compromise. About, it's not Setting as cold, it's not as cold as, yeah, it's not as cold as he would like, but, not a, but I can put yeah. on a jacket, you know, a sweater. Um, well, actually, but you know, you know what, Arlene, uh, I think there's an interesting point there, which is, first of all, about saying, I feel cold. But then it opens up for a real conversation, like, I don't right. feel cold. And then you can talk about how each of you right. feels it and make an agreement rather than it being uh, an argument about who's right. It's not right. cold. It is cold. Right. And, I'm, and I always say there's always a solution, you know, especially about these kinds of things. Um, it, it, it's, it's rarely the case that these fights are about something so profound. Like, I, I want to live in uh, California. I want to live in – well, even there, there could be even a solution. Even there, there's a solution. Yeah. There's, there's, there's always – if you want to find the solution, pretty much you can always find the solution. Um, there's the – uh, you, you know, No, no, go ahead. Mar- well, Marshall Rosenberg says that it, when you have a really successful negotiation, both sides feel like they won. Mm-hmm. Um, which is the opposite of the old saying, if you have a negotiation and both sides feel disappointed, then it was a good negotiation. Mm-hmm. But actually, in, the, in real communication, both sides win because there's connection and both sides feel they're, they're heard, they're respected, they're cared about. And then you come up with a strategy, such as setting the thermostat at a certain number. But when the two people feel respected and cared about, there's always a way to make a strategy. Right. Right. And to really, um, you know, the other example that I read that I think this happens all the time in couples too, is uh, you don't say, well, like the, the, the reflex is to say, take out the garbage, pick up your clothes, like to make a command. Mm -hmm. So then the other person's response instinctively is don't tell me what to do. Mm -hmm. uh, As opposed to saying, um, would you would you mind taking out the garbage? I'm so tired tonight. Or um, you know, you know, I hate when clothes are all over the floor. Would you would you try to remember to pick them up? But you know, it drives me crazy. Well, um, it drives me crazy because I'm afraid I'm going to fall over when I have to go through the room. <laughs> well, it could just drive me crazy because I'm like a little obsessive compulsive person. Right. Ah, but now you're sharing the feeling. <laughs> I'm, I'm obsessive compulsive, and I, I oh. get really. Uh, uncomfortable right because because that's a good example of you can if 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 if, say if that were you i could feel oh you're so obsessive um i don't have to agree that that's like a a reasonable position i could not agree with it or with any number of other positions i could not agree that it's logical to me that it makes sense to me that anybody should care about it but, it, but I can say and have to say if I'm in connection and relationship, I know that it's important to you. So since it's important to you, I will do it. I will try to pick up my clothes since I know it's important to you, even if I think it's stupid. So um, I have to care about what's important to you and maybe vice versa, you know. Uh, but, yeah, you don't have to agree with the other person's position to care about it. By the way, there's another, um, this one's going to be hard in some cases, but um, it only takes one person to practice good communication. Yes, yes. I I love that quote. 
Uh, yeah, um, because if you're if you're in a disagreement with someone important, it could be at work or it could be anywhere. Um, the other person may not be interested in nonviolent communication or imago, but you can stay true to the principles, and it's good for you anyway. Because when we stay true to um, kind of respectful, caring communication, we feel better in the end, um, and right. the other person will eventually come along. It might take a hundred years, but Usually it's a lot faster than and that. And at least, at least it doesn't get escalated. You know, there's a quote about that that I don't know who said it, and I, I, I've been trying to find out, but it's 100% of the responsibility uh, for our interaction is mine and 100% is yours. So what you're saying is if one person takes their 100%, then we can change the, the uh, dynamic. And it's so common to feel that it's the other person's fault. Well, if only you would change then everything would be okay. Clearly, it's your fault. But really, it's the responsibility belongs to both people. And like you say, we can, if we take our part, our responsibility, mm-hmm. um, we, can, we can start to shift the dynamic. It doesn't need to be necessarily mutual. Absolutely. It's nice if it is. Right. It's nicer or it's nice. But yes, we can each take 100. I like that quote too. Yeah, yeah. I don't know who said it. <laughs> 100 plus 100 equals 100. <laughs> we can make right. up our own math, right? All right, right, right. <laughs> but it's really, it's true. And um, I mean, you think about, you talked before about world leaders or the world, like, like you think about people like Nelson Mandela, say, you know, who had, who was surrounded by so much, um, or Martin Luther King. And they, they set the example mm-hmm. for that I am going to behave despite all the um, disrespect surrounding me, I'm going to behave in a respectful way and I'm going to say what I feel we need to become as a civilization. So they, they did that, right? Yep. Good example. Um, yeah. Um, what else? Do you have any other examples? Or Oh, yeah, I think so. Let's see. Um, well, I want to take a couple minutes. This is from the book, Nonviolent Communication. There was a prisoner who, Marshall Rosenberg right. went to a prison, and this prisoner had asked for books so he could study a topic which would lead to a good job once he got out of the jail or the prison. And the warden was not getting the books. It was going on and on for a long time. And the prisoner was really angry, and he said to, to Marshall, these are faceless bureaucrats. They don't give a damn about people like me. They're, you know, they're, they're just idiots. Um, and um, the response was by uh, Rosenberg was, um, I don't agree. And the, guy, and the prisoner says, why, you think I'm wrong? And Marshall said, no, I'm not going to say you're wrong because that, that would make you wrong. But what I am going to say is that kind of thinking will make you angry. <laughs> And if you're in a position of anger, is it going to get you what you really want and need? So instead, um, he helped the prisoner say, uh, come up with a different statement, which was, not getting these books is really scaring me because I'm afraid when I get out of jail, if I don't have a skill, I'll end up right back in, in jail again. I won't, and he, then he said, I'm feeling scared that I'm not getting the help I need to make a better life. And the point was, if he goes to the warden with that attitude of, I really need help. Um, you know, I want to make a better life and I'm afraid I won't unless I get these books. He's much more likely to get what he wants than if he goes feeling you're a, you're the, you know, the white hypocrite liar. And if he goes with that attitude, if, even if he doesn't say those words, he's less likely to get what he wants and he mm-hmm. won't feel as good either. So um, taking responsibility for your feelings, even if there's an external trigger, is an important part of making a better life. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Good example. Um, what else? I mean, I, I, you know, there are so many examples that we can, we can think about. Um, we're probably going to have. Yeah, um, we have a couple of minutes. But... Um, and maybe this is a topic for another 
pot another time. But what, what always fascinates me, too, is, that, is how do we pick the people that we connect with? And uh, sometimes we pick the person uh, who's either similar or the opposite of a parent. So say I have a domineering narcissistic parent who's always controlling. I might find a, um, a, a, like a, like a withdrawn introverted person to connect with because I'm going to feel safe with them. But then I, after a while, I start to get angry and attack them. Well, for, we, recreate, we recreate some of the traumatic. Right. Right. In, in hopes of solving them. Can I, can I say something? But then just, for, can I, yeah, sure, but sure. then just to finish that I, um, so then I say, instead of, I really need us to find some time together or, you know, to get attention, I might say, uh, you never, you, you're just a passive jerk. You don't, you don't, you never, you never come up with anything. And so I attack them for the thing that drew them to me, drew me to them in the first place. So there's all kinds of examples like that. Um, so, but again, it comes to, I need, um, let's find a way, but go ahead, David. I'm sorry. I didn't mean to cut you off. Oh, no. Yeah, that's fine. Um, I, uh, I, I, I guess the fear that I have is we'll be cut off in the middle of a word and, you know, <laughs> end that way, right? I think but, they got um, more than th- Oh, five minutes, he said. Yeah, well, now yeah, four minutes. Three oh, minutes. Oh, okay. Okay, <laughs> so um, I think it might be useful to summarize, kind of get back to the empathetic core of what we're talking about here, which is if we want to have a, a better life for ourselves and other people, because we're all so connected, those go together. If we want to have a better life, we have to learn how to connect to what's really important for us and express that and hear what's important for other people right? and, and take the time. It's very important. And that's the way we can make a better life. Right. And as you was just to confirm or say again, what you said before to see what's under the anger, like to not to respond to the need mm-hmm. that's under the anger instead of defending ourselves to see the need. All right. Well, thank you, David. This was fun. Thank you for tuning in to Ask Arlo. Arlene Majorano has another episode of the podcast coming soon. So keep checking back on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. And be sure to visit askarlo.com to ask questions and to find out more about the show. Until our next show, keep finding new ways to renew the relationships in your life.